From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, April 21st. Let's just start off on the north side and we'll work our way through. Okay. This is the voice of Frank Mello, facility supervisor at the Grand County School District. And if you noticed, the patterns here is like riverways, kind of to depict Moab and Colorado River. He's leading me through what must be the freshest development in the Moab Valley. Workers are putting the finishing touches on just about everything in here, from lighting fixtures to appliances, getting everything set up for its new inhabitants, local 7th and 8th graders. I know my old middle school was not the greatest. You're lucky to have air. So these kids, we, we spoil them, but you know, if it's a good environment for them to be in, they'll learn better, I think. The brand new Margaret L. Hopkin Middle School is gearing up for occupation in just a few days. This week, students, teachers, and administrators will all pitch in to move classrooms into the two-story building. The facility is unlike other schools I've seen. There are creative maker spaces, a lecture hall, a second-story library with a view, windows providing lots of natural light, and big sliding classroom doors that open up into hallways. These hallways are nice and wide because uh-huh. they're called collaborative learning areas. Okay. So if the classrooms want to collaborate, they can come out here. Throughout the tour, I find myself repeating one word over and over. Wow. It is a beautiful building, isn't it? Grand County School District Superintendent Taryn Kay. She says there's a lot of great features about this new building, but she especially likes the flexible learning spaces it provides. The whole concept is around student learning and developmentally for uh, middle school students. You know, they're generally very social, and all of the furniture is designed to be uh, moved from space to space, from in the hallway to in the classroom, and just really created with the, a student focus. And I think that's what we should be about. So I love that. The Margaret L. Hopkin building is a significant upgrade from the old middle school facility, which was built mid-century during the uranium boom. From a facility's management perspective, Mello says its inner workings are meant to be as efficient as possible. There are floors that don't need waxing, electrical systems that, unlike the old building, will not be threatened with flooding. He says all of it spells overall cost savings for the school district. Our other building is just nickel and diamondness to death. So we're replacing compressors and stuff like that. That's a thousand bucks a whack. And we've replaced two of them this year. And it's really sad because we ain't going to be using them anymore. So we want to get out of there and finally put that one to bed. When the students and teachers move into this new building, the old one will be demolished. A new practice field will eventually be installed on the site. Superintendent Kay points out that the new middle school will absolutely have uses for the larger community, too. One obvious feature for community use is the double gym, which can kind of be its own contained facility separate from the rest of the building, with its own bathrooms and a concession stand. You know, that building is bought and paid for with taxpayer dollars, and we understand the value to the community of their tax dollars, and we want this building to be something uh, that they can be proud of, 
that serves their students well and is also a service to, to the larger community. Back in 2012, the Board of Ed began setting aside some money every year for a new middle school. A few years ago, they received a lease revenue bond for the building, and property taxes will help pay it off. Administrators have projected the upwards of $30 million facility will last 100 years. For Mello, its construction phase has meant hard work for the district's facility staff. But he says it's all about to be worth it when the classrooms fill up with 7th and 8th graders in just a few days. I, I'm excited about getting the kids in here and moving on with that building and getting it out of there. Mello himself went to school for a few years in the old building when it was Moab's high school. He has stories about the wrestling team going down to the steam tunnels with their coats on to sweat and make weight. But as the person tasked with its upkeep, He's not really nostalgic for it at all. Moving forward into this new space, he says, is good for kids, good for Moab. It's been worth it. Although I had a lot of hours, extra hours, it was worth it. And I'd probably do it again. (laughs) Hopefully not, but... The district plans to hold an open house for the Margaret L. Hopkin Middle School building in the fall. Superintendent Kay says if anyone wants a tour before then, reach out to the school district. Just yesterday, a jury convicted a former Minneapolis police officer on all counts of murder and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. In the wake of the trial, our partners at the Mountain West News Bureau are asking how far our region has come in enacting police reform since Floyd's death nearly one year ago. Robin Vincent reports on one state that has passed some of the boldest reform to date. We want justice! We want justice! Colorado Democratic State Legislator Leslie Harrod says the historic demonstrations in Colorado last year compelled lawmakers to move fast. We had such pressure, not only from folks protesting outside of the state capitol in Denver, but from across the state to say that this is wrong. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. The Colorado legislature returned for a short session last spring amid America's reckoning on racism and police brutality. That's when Herod, who chairs the state's Black Democratic Caucus, helped craft a sweeping police reform bill. We took it upon the state legislature to say that we are going to address this issue of police brutality, and we're going to do it now. With the support of all Democratic legislators, they brought Republican lawmakers and police lobbyists to the table, too, passing SB 217 during a whirlwind session. They did this in a state with the sixth highest rate of police killings in the nation. Justin Smith is Larimer County Sheriff, and he chairs the County Sheriff's Legislative Committee. They helped mold the bill as it moved through the state legislature at a rapid pace. And in a little over a 10-day period, we worked to write over 40 successful amendments. And they had to give up on some issues, like qualified immunity for police officers. Qualified immunity is a legal doctrine that protects police from civil lawsuits. The new law eliminates that protection for local cops in Colorado. Now Smith and other officers worry police could be unfairly punished for doing their jobs. The removal of qualified immunity, combined with the bill's other measures, caught the attention of criminal justice experts across the nation. There's no other state legislator in this country that has been able to do what Colorado has done to date. It just hasn't happened. 
That's Howard Henderson. He heads the Center for Justice Research at Texas Southern University. He says Colorado is ground zero for police reform because the state's new law ticks multiple boxes. Body-worn cameras, use of force, duty to intervene, firing police officers, qualified immunity, police prosecutions, protester protections, and data tracking all in one bill. In Colorado, it wasn't only the death of George Floyd that galvanized protesters and forced lawmakers to act. Representative Leslie Harrod says it was also the subsequent knowledge of Elijah McLean's death. McLean's death was Colorado's to confront. Say his name! In August 2019, in Aurora, east of Denver, McLean was tackled, handcuffed, and injected with a powerful sedative after police received a call about a suspicious person. The 23-year-old black man died a few days later. A recent independent investigation was deeply critical of police and paramedics' actions that night. His mother, Shanine McLean, spoke to KUNC's Colorado edition in February. She says her son's story touched a lot of people for different reasons. But Shanine McLean says one thing transcends all of that. If we take out all the boxes and categories that we're placed in, we're just human. We're just human, and humans should care about each other. McLean's death not only helped spur legislative action, it forced local reforms, too. Aurora Police Chief Vanessa Wilson was hired roughly a year after McLean died and quickly implemented changes, like banning the type of chokehold officers used on McLean. Now a community policing task force wants the power to fire officers. Wilson says she's open to that, too. We have to change and we have to evolve because that's what the community is is asking for not just the Aurora Police Department, but law enforcement in general. Criminal justice expert Henderson says reform at the local and state level is most impactful. That's where 85 percent of criminal justice happens. And the public appetite for such reform is only growing. The societal consensus changes over time on all manner of issues. Look, abortion gay rights. Policing is not excluded from that. Henderson says law enforcement has been hesitant to change, but that no system of power maintains itself forever. For the Mountain West News Bureau, I'm Robin Vincent. And that's the news for Wednesday, April 21st. Quick word to listeners. Yes, it's still Radiothon. There's still time to donate to KZMU News and Public Affairs or any one of your favorite programs here at the station. Any amount helps your community radio station thrive. Thanks, listener.